Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to November's Outside the Box. Jen is elsewhere, so I am not joined by Jen. I am joined by Mickey. What's up? (laughs) Yeah, I haven't got Jen here to be horrified with. You are welcome. Good. There are many exciting things that you and I really like back on the telly. I've actually watched some telly. I've actually watched some telly. It's amazing. A couple of things in the news section, just quick before we start. In fact, just one thing. Have you seen that BBC slash Red Productions has announced third season of Happy Valley is happening? (gasps) Oh, that is exciting. Good old Sally Wainwright's written it and it will start filming soon. Oh, this is thrilling news. I'm very excited. Oh, it's going to make me miss Halifax, isn't it? Yeah, probably. It has been a long time. It's been about... I think we were still an online magazine the last time Happy Valley was on. That is a long time ago. Like, at least five years. Yeah. Where does the time go? I like the fact that she she won't be rushed. I like that too. She had other stuff that she wanted to get out of her system that she needed to do. Looking at you, gentlemen, Jack. And it's good that now she's back on... The right page. <laughs> I would rather people wrote stuff because they felt they had an idea than they wrote stuff because somebody was asking them for a new series. Yeah, totally. And obviously, Gentleman Jack was brilliant and that was the right page too. But Happy Valley. I'm excited as well to watch it post-Mayor of Easttown because obviously that had people like just sliding around with excitement and mm. I still maintain that Happy Valley is much better. Yeah, because it's got a sense of humour. Talking of sense of humour, shall we start with... That was a lovely segue, Hannah. Shall we start with Succession, which okay. is the drama with the greatest sense of humour on television, certainly at the moment. There's probably a discussion whether or not The Sopranos is funnier, but we'll have that another time. I think it is. There you go. That's my input. Oh, easy done. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, we've managed to keep our excitement under wraps. I don't know if anyone's noticed that Succession has come <laughs> back. But finally, after about two years of waiting for me, slightly less for people who caught up in lockdown, Succession is back for a third series. Obviously, an earthquake went off at the end of the last series and mm-hmm. it's left everyone in very rigid, inflexible positions. And I think that combined with the fact that a lot of it's shot indoors, which was partly to do with the pandemic. Yeah. It has a kind of claustrophobic feel that I'm not 100% sure I'm enjoying very much, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, it's it's tense, intense, untense. I feel very, very tense. There's no real point exploring the plot for those who don't watch it. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone who does. But needless to say... Kendall's revelation at the end of the last series has really fractured the family. And I think that is another part of the reason everybody's off in their own groups doing their own things. And we haven't really had one of those big scenes where they're all in it together. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which, again, might be a result of the way that it had to be filmed. I don't know. that's true. But a couple of things to say. I love Jerry and Roman more than ever. They are an absolute delight together, just just total magic. Whether or not Jerry actually has a boyfriend, I don't know. I was going to ask, how do you feel about Jerry dating? Where does that leave our slime puppy? Well, that's what the interesting thing is. I think Jerry could date in her mind, but I've been saying this for ages and, and a couple of people sort of snorted at me when I said, this isn't a sex thing for Roman. Roman fully loves Jerry, like actually fully loves her. 
And I think he's going to be terribly jealous. He seems to think there is something going on with them <laughs> when she just thinks it's something bizarre that happens to her every so often. And as deeply disrespectful as Roman is to absolutely everyone around him, he is quite respectful for Jerry. Like, she told him to put his shoes back on and he put his shoes back on. Yeah. The other interesting declaration of love that exi- has existed in this so far is Tom's bizarre declaration of love for Greg this week, <laughs> in which he basically said he'd murder his wife and Greg could dress in her clothes. He'd castrate and marry Greg in a heartbeat, I think were his actual words. Yeah, and that seems about as strong as a declaration of love on succession gets. <laughs> I also thought if we stick with episode four, guest star Adrian Brody, always good to see him. The situation where Kendall and Logan are left at a table by themselves and don't speak and then mm. have to take a long walk back that the dad is clearly not healthy enough to do and the son is annoyed with him but also slightly concerned replicates a number of situations I've been in with my own dad (laughs) and I actually found them painful absolutely painful to watch so it is brilliant but my one complaint so far would be it hasn't had a killer episode yet and we're four in and it hasn't really made me laugh that much yet succession is still the best thing on tv but I have to say it's yet to reach the dizzy heights of series two for me also I fucking hate Shiv. I fucking hate Shiv as well. She is just so narcissistic. I, I mean, it seems silly when I'm talking about a very narcissistic family. No one is particularly likable, although I do really like Roman. And I feel a lot of sympathy for Kendall, the most sympathy for Kendall. But every time he's on screen, I get a bellyache because I'm just like, oh, oh, it makes me feel weird. Yeah. What he's saying. Uh, I read somewhere that he doesn't speak the same language it seems like he speaks in uh, a very kendall specific language where it's just a lot of jargon lumped together and then thrown out but some of what he's been saying about trying to make waystar a better place you know that seems laudable yeah and i just listen to it and go so what's he going to say next that absolutely upends that and shows him to be an atrocious roy just like the rest of them and uh, i think it was all they want you for is your teats so well done kendall you didn't disappoint me (laughs) are you like this in my notes for succession it just says agree with hannah and (laughs) i I absolutely agree with everything you've said i'm still loving it i still think it's excellent the writing is so just fucking pin sharp but i also agree that it hasn't had it hasn't had a rap that's made me run to the toilet and vomit (laughs) with shame for someone (laughs) and yeah it hasn't had that killer episode yet but you kind of know it's in the post right yeah yeah i mean i have absolute faith even if i came away from this series feeling lukewarm on it i would still be excited as fuck for series four it it's set the bar so high that yes you have absolute faith in it i mean going back to shiv she's just it's funny because she seems to be the internet's favorite character apart from greg i think greg exists right at the top everybody knows that greg's basically a decent person basically which is, he? Which is why you get disappointed when he does terrible things do you know what i okay. mean okay Whereas with the others, you get excited when they do one decent thing. I agree that I find, I actually find Connor quite sympathetic. And in fact, all of the boys 
are more sympathetic than Shiv because like Roman was physically abused and I think the other two have been mentally abused by their dad yeah. whereas Shiv was the favourite she's had the easiest ride out of all of them and yet she's managed to segue into being the worst human being of all of them I think she's probably got a set of pencils that says girl boss on them she's that kind of human that kind of woman and yeah just they're all entitled I don't think you can be born into that kind of wealth and not be mm. entitled I think that is something that is, comes with being born that way but her entitlement has no bounds at all yeah and I find it disgusting and I don't I don't like a Hannah I don't like her and I'm glad when she gets told off by Logan I like it when she gets told off by Logan even though he is in, increasingly despicable which seems impossible yeah. but is happening yeah. Should we talk about our other favourite TV programme? Okay. One of our other favourite TV programmes, which is also back. Is this when I drop my fangs and yes. you go, ooh. What we do in the shadows, it's all up and available to watch on the iPlayer. Series three, again, not such a long wait, I don't think, since Succession. I don't think, maybe I think I'm it's wrong. it's the same. I think is it's it? two years, you know, I think so. It doesn't, it maybe didn't feel so long, possibly also restricted by similar things, you know, like how many people you could get in scenes and stuff. I don't know. I mean, was largely filmed inside, to be honest. And at nighttime, Hannah, because they're vampires. Come on, keep up. (laughs) Worth mentioning as well that what I said about succession, I'm not going to bother explaining the plot because I don't want to spoil it. Again, we left the end of series two with Guillermo having killed most of the vampire world (laughs) and everybody terrified at what the result of this would be a cliffhanger that has been almost entirely undone within about 20 seconds which always annoys me a little bit i have to say the first episode is dedicated to undoing it right yeah but basically christian shell turns up and says yes okay really yeah he gets a promotion i thought the first three or four episodes weren't great Mm. really i didn't laugh much I think Natasha Dimitriou and uh, Kay Van Novak, <gasps> their, <laughs> their bickering was irritating more than anything else. I felt like Guillermo and Colin Robinson had been sidelined quite a lot when they are, to me, two of the funniest characters in it or two of the best characters in it. And I felt like Matt Berry just looked bored. I will say I thought the series improved, but nonetheless, it's still very good. But it was a disappointment as a whole, I think, the series. See, just on what you were saying about the first three or four episodes, I did agree with you. I didn't I didn't love them. I didn't love them in the way that I've loved pretty much every other episode, apart from when Matt Berry went and like coached a volleyball team or something Mm. um, in series two. But Colin Robinson, I was baffled by because he had become incredibly pure. I was like. Where has this come from? Where's this scat obsession yeah. come from? Also, my biggest disappointment from the whole series is they didn't once, not once, show him eating energy and Mark Posh doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it now. Is one of my favourite things probably ever. But I also think it really improved and I have not come away disappointed. I just think it's just, it's too fucking charming to resist. I can't help myself. I would say the point at which it improved for me was when Doug Jones came back. 
Yes. That yes. was the moment that I just the thought Baron. the Baron's return, I thought, was incredible. And it's even funnier, you know, that there's only half of him and now he lives with that weird <laughs> thing and the hell the dog. Sire. And it's just, yeah, it's just perfect. Touches like that, I absolutely love. Sidebar for Sopranos fans, Aida Totoro in it. Yes. And has lost an absolute mountain of weight. Yeah, she has. She's still very recognisably Janice. Yeah. But um, I was like, oh, it's Janice, hello. You know me, love a Sopranos ref. I would also say that for me, something that didn't work was Kirsten Schaal's character because she was just too like yeah. Nadja. The voice was like Nadja's voice. Yeah. I just couldn't get on board with it at all. I don't think we needed another main vampire in that way. And I felt like it meant that she was underdrawn and underused agreed okay should we take a break okay having been the crushes of dreams there a little bit um <laughs> we'll take a break and come back and talk about some other stuff that we've watched okay where to start yeah more disappointment ahoy i watched squid game have you read about squid game mick i have read in depth about squid game hannah because you know i am some sort of freak that despite disliking horror and that kind of vibe it's fascinated by how it works because I think it's very clever. So I read episode reviews and basically read my way through it as opposed to actually watching it happen on screen. So I'm quite well versed in Squid Game. Hit me with your thoughts. Well, I'm a bit late with them, obviously, because last month I think it was just me and Jen and neither of us had had a chance to watch it. And it did seem to be a thing that came onto Netflix and almost immediately everybody binged watched. So within mm. about two days, everyone was talking about the ending of it. But, you know, I review TV, so I thought I'd give it a go i've come to the conclusion that battle royale must be one of the most influential but yet never recognized films because the hunger games looks like it's based on battle royale but the author claims that she'd never heard of battle royale when she wrote it and squid game looks like it's based on battle royale but the, the writer claims that he had never heard of it before he wrote it so that uh... yeah um, uh, and it's the Battle Royale style thing. A group of people who have problems with money are invited to compete in a game. It's a series of children's games. Essentially, the losers are eliminated and by eliminated, killed until it's whittled down to one winner who takes away a huge pot of money. As it stands, same with Battle Royale and the Hunger Games. Good premise, if you know what mm, I mean. Yeah, um, solid. You know ripping into capitalism etc etc for me it fails on the fact that its main character is desperately unlikable right say what you like about the hunger games katniss everdeen is likable and i just find even when given the opportunity to be like over the course of this to become a better person he still makes a really selfish decision at the end of it an incredibly selfish decision which, you know, actually appears to possibly leave open the potential of a sequel. So I don't know whether it was a last minute decision mm. that was made, but it completely undercuts any progress his character made. There's another character in it who there's a massive ooh, plot twist at the end, which I did spot coming. And I kept thinking I will lose all respect for this if it pulls that plot twist. And it did. And that then undermines a lot of stuff that happens in it. 
It's got very few female characters, but they are the most interesting people in it. And why they're not given more screen time, I do not know, including one of them who is a North Korean defector. I mean, I'd watch a television programme just about her, and -hmm. yet she is only given about maybe five minutes per episode. Yeah, I was disappointed, but I have watched it. So, you know, I do know what the kids are talking about. (laughs) Well done for powering through, Hannah. Yeah, I know you won't watch it because it's... It's not a horror. I mean, it's it's bloody more than anything. It, it's not scary. It's just people being mown down by machine guns. I mean... Isn't it some of the deaths quite gory? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, now I don't want to watch it anyway, to be honest with you. It makes me happy, I suppose, that one of the most watched things on Netflix isn't something that was made in America. In fact, I made an incredible prediction at the start of lockdown that the result of 18 months locked in our house with no telly being made would be that we would be more and more open to foreign language dramas. And the success of Lupin and Squid Game certainly show that's true. Or maybe people are watching it with it dubbed. I mean, we had that conversation before. I don't know why people would. No, definitely watch the subtitles, unless obviously you can't. But I would also add that maybe on the back of Parasite winning Best uh, best Oscar. Yeah, it won the Best Oscar. Uh, It won the big Oscar, didn't it? It won the Best Film Oscar. Maybe that has encouraged people to give this a chance. And also K-pop is really popular, isn't it? As the name suggests, which is Korean pop music. Yeah, I'm just pulling an old lady face. Just put, just put it understand. into Twitter and you will see oh, I've, I've tried millions and millions Hannah. of mad, mad accounts that are dedicated to members of boy bands in Korea. Yeah, they pop yeah. up. K-pop memes pop up in the most unusual places and I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> okay, Statlet's Flats is also back for a third series. Jamie, Dimitriou... Written and stars in this sitcom set in London about a Greek Cypriot immigrant and his family who run an estate agency. You weren't particularly sold on it as a whole. It is insanely popular. The first series was okay. The second series was good. And the the final of the second series, the last episode, was really good. Again, I don't know. This just didn't, didn't leap out at me, this series. The stuff that I like in it, there's loads more Katie Wicks in it, which is great. But there was more and more of the daft singing in stupid voices that actually kind of irks me. So depending on what part of Statlet's Flats you enjoyed, you're either going to be delighted or disappointed with this series, I would say. From the reviews I've read, people seem delighted with it, but didn't really do it for me. I really wanted to like it. I tried a couple of times, maybe even three times, to get on board with it because people whose opinion I really respect about comedy had recommended it to me. And, yeah, I just I just could not get on board with it, which probably my fault because it is so well-loved and, you know, you like the first and second series, but I feel like I'm too far gone now. Yeah. I'm too far gone. But I will say that whenever I'm watching something on Channel 4, which we I am at the moment, and we'll get to that, and the advert for Staff Let's Flats comes on, I laugh. I find it really funny. Every single different trailer makes me laugh, and I just don't understand why that doesn't then translate to the yeah. a whole episode making me laugh. Yeah, good point. 
Mickey, I've done loads of talking. Tell me about what you've been watching. So I just mentioned Channel 4 and I have been watching Close to Me, which is a new Channel 4 six-part domestic thriller. It had me at Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> then I read Susan Lynch was in it too. Wowzers. Lovely stuff. Now, I am only two episodes in, so I've tried to like cover my eyes and put my fingers in my ears as far as reviews go. But even fact-checking how many episodes there were, so I could, you know, get my facts straight here. It seems there's some sort of explaining being required for the ending, so I've got that to look forward mm. to in the future. Connie Nielsen is Joe Harding, a woman seemingly kicking ass when it comes to the good life. She's got a decent husband, Rob, that's Eccleston. Two grown-up left-home kids, a smashing long-time BFF, that's Lynch, and a gardener so hot he just can't help taking his shirt off, poor fella. <laughs> the thing is, Joe has taken a nasty tumble down the stairs, and after a week in an induced coma, she's woken to find that she cannot remember the past 12 months at all. And as she tries to piece together this missing year, it becomes very clear that everyone is hiding something and maybe, actually, she's not the nice person she remembers herself being. And Joe's fall has also caused brain trauma, meaning she's got disinhibition, and that's hard to say for yeah. me. And Nielsen does a fine line in anger out of seemingly nowhere. Also, she is hot. She's hot all the time. The perimenopause is clearly playing havoc with her internal thermometer and probably adding to that, you know, overall rage. So we're mostly piecing things together with Joe, really, and it's nicely paced to keep you hooked. We know Joe's getting some saucy memory flashbacks that she's not revealing to anyone, and she's found a condom in one of her coat pockets. And in the odd occasions that we do follow what Eccleston's character Rob is up to, it is clear that he is not to be trusted. But he does seem to really love her, so there's a really not sure what's going on there that keeps you hooked. It is, you know, fairly steady psychodrama territory, but it also has a really nice line in realistic observations of sort of marital life. Like when Joe is leaving the hospital, battered and bruised, her legs are just covered in bruises. She's like, it, Rob's bought in some clothes for her and she's just like, why has he bought me skinny jeans? <laughs> like she wants to kill him. And you kind of get these little insights into their relationship that show that they have, or at least had, a good relationship so it's interesting to find out where that's going to go so i'm intrigued i'm going to keep watching but i have one niggle and that is remember when you talked about the undoing where hugh grant looks like an animated scrotum and nicole kidman looked like she was wearing some sort of doll mask death, death mask yeah. yeah i am having a very similar problem with connie nielsen who is no doubt an absolutely gorgeous looking woman but her fillers deserve a mention in the credits. They are doing a lot of work. I wholeheartedly believe it is a woman's choice to do whatever the fuck she wants with her own face, but it is genuinely distracting. And I am distracted, which I think is a shame because I, I am also really intrigued. But I like every time she's on the screen, I am just like, what is going on with your face, mate? Yeah. In something like The Undoing, you know, it's it's believable that Nicole... Even though I hated it and it made it made her acting, you know, impossible. Mm. You could actually believe that her character would have had loads of plastic surgery. Yeah. But I think the trouble is when you get characters, and, and I don't know with this, but you have characters who wouldn't have necessarily, don't seem like the sort to have had plastic surgery or don't seem to have the finances to have had plastic surgery. It then jars even more. I mean, I would say, for example, Paula Malcolmson's had quite a lot done. 
and you know it was noticeable in Deadwood and it does take you out of it a little bit because Trixie <laughs> yeah. would not have looked like that no for financial and indeed science reasons yeah but Joe and Rob Harding I think are like fairly well to do their house is lush and they clearly got a decent amount of money or there are hints that he's got money troubles but it's yeah it's and I'm annoyed with myself for being distracted by it but there we are there we have it yeah well it sounds interesting nonetheless I do love a bit of Eccleston and a bit of Lynch come on yes we've both watched a bit of the outlaws haven't we which is Stephen Merchant's six part I don't know what to call it because it starts off quite comedic and then it's like kind of moves into thriller territory. So comedy, comedy thriller, thriller, I don't know. A thriller D. Yeah, which is on BBC and I think it's playing week by week. I think you have to watch it week by week. I don't think it's, it's all up on the iPlayer. So yeah, we've only watched one episode each. Um, uh-huh. The same episode. It, it's probably worth episode, yeah. <laughs> uh, You talked a little bit about it in your interview with Claire Perkins, who's obviously in it. I think we might end up revisiting this because I watched it. And the interesting thing is my brain went, yeah, bank that. Next time you're really bored or it's before payday or you don't feel very well or we go into another lockdown, I will watch all six parts of it. I just didn't feel like getting into it right now. And that's not to say it's not good because, I mean, aside from the fact it's got Christopher Walken in it, so hooray. And, you know, it's Stephen Merchant. And there's some other really solid people in there, Jessica Gunning, Darren Boyd. I didn't feel the need to watch the next one immediately, but it wasn't because I didn't like it. I just thought, oh, this will be a banker for when I uh, when I need to watch a TV series and there's nothing on. I'm going to watch the rest of it. I think it's really interesting that they filmed series two already, so both series are in the bag. And I will definitely go back to it because I really enjoyed the first episode and I thought it was really funny. I like the idea of getting people together that way. So it's a bit like Misfits, obviously, of getting people doing community service back together. Yeah. And you then get to bring in really disparate characters. But we're getting to see a bit more of their home life as well, which I think is really interesting. And, you know, there's arguments that Merchant was always the funnier one of him and Gervais. And I do think he does a really lovely line in dry comedy whilst keeping the drama really interesting too. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I've written her name down, but my notes are appalling. Is it Rianne Barreto, who is playing the young, about to go to Oxford University student who gets caught up in the middle of all of this because she's developed a shoplifting habit. I thought she was really excellent in this. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. I didn't dislike it. I just thought, yeah, I'll watch this at, uh, at another time. I did also watch one part of the BBC drama Show Trial, and it wasn't for me. Maybe we'll just leave it at that. It just wasn't for me. <laughs> I watched something on BBC One. I wrote about this in the mail out, actually, and said I was going to watch it. So, you know, put my money where my mouth is. And, you know, I've got a licence. I do pay for the BBC. But I watched the Panorama episode called Online Abuse, colon, Why Do You Hate Me? It's been a long old time since I watched the panorama, but this episode in which reporter Mariana Spring investigates the rise of online abuse against women and asks why the police, the government, social media companies aren't doing more to stop it is it's a real corker. It's definitely worth a watch. So 
there's lots of different avenues she sort of investigates during the half hour, but one of them is that she sets up an account as a bloke interested in conspiracy theories because conspiracy theorists are the group of people who send Spring the most abuse. She's the BBC's, they call her the disinformation reporter, which sounds like a made-up thing, yeah. but is actually real. And so she investigates a lot of conspiracy theorists and stuff. Sounds like she works with Winston Smith. Oh, in 1984? Mm. Yeah, yeah, kind of. She's definitely trying to out Big Brother, though. Yeah. Yeah. She uses this AI-generated face and this account to look into how social media algorithms are promoting hate, and she tracks down those trolls who send her daily shit. She even speaks to one of them on the phone, and he, he sort of apologises, but mostly remains a jeb end with whom I have very little sympathy. I also loved... The interviews that she did, she chats to former Prime Minister of Australia, Julia Gillard, who faced constant sexism and abuse, and also NHS doctor Rachel Clark, who has been on the podcast, and who, and this is awful, I've seen it happen, I've seen it on Twitter, has received countless rape and death threats because she's championing the COVID vaccines and the work that doctors and nurses are doing. It's just... What a terrible human being. Terrible human being. Twitter and the police have done absolutely nothing about her cases and it is infuriating, as is the police's handling of Spring's own case in which she is passed from pillar to post with no one she encounters. I think she ends up with three case handlers and not one of them has the foggiest about how to do anything to stop the bile and the threats. One of them claims they don't even know how to use Instagram, all of which is really good to know, eh, and make you feel safe and protected. And given that they know she's also reporting on this for the BBC, they've not even pulled out any stops to make themselves look better. Come on, the police, you need to really up your game. So basically, if you liked Laura Bates's Men Who Hate Women, you'll love this. <laughs> <laughs> and by that, it's I mean... It's like clearly... the right word. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly it's not a relaxing watch, but it is an important one and it is still available on the iPlayer. Great. I'm going to tuck into that. It's a snack. It's 30 minutes. Terrific. Anything else you want to mention? One more thing, uh, my little Columbo there. So right, I watched Dexter, New Blood. I could keep this really short. But why? Uh, but I will share a little bit more because I really enjoyed the first four seasons of Showtime's Dexter when it first aired 15 years ago. Oh, way to feel old. The initial conceit of a serial killer who only murdered bad people while balancing a full-time job as a forensic technician for the Miami Metro Police Department was, you know, pretty neat. And the first four seasons were darkly funny, sometimes schlocky, often delightfully camp and really knowing fun. Michael C. Hall is a dream in the role. I loved him. And also the end of season four in which Dexter had locked horns with fellow serial killer, but you know, the bad sort, Trinity, played by John Lithgow, was the kind of perfect plot twist that show endings are made of. Except they didn't end it there. Instead, they dragged it out for four more increasingly ridiculous seasons Ending with Dexter Morgan, our serial killer, hanging up his knives and heading into some remote woods to be a lumberjack. Okay, okay, <laughs> that's cool. That's, you know, sounds that, that right. That seems more like what happens. Exactly, exactly. So why bring Dexter Morgan back, I guess, is my big question. And I'm going to guess ratings, the Benjamins, mm. and also maybe the chance to undo some of the damage done by that shit show of a finale. 
Also, Clyde Perkins, the original showrunner for Dexter, who left after that corking fourth season, is back at the helm for Dexter New Blood. So, only one episode is available at the time of recording. I have seen that episode, and it is a 10-part limited series, so they are going to have to wrap up the story in 10 parts. And while there is there is a delight in seeing Michael C. Hall be excellent again, because he is, and I'm chuffed to see Jennifer Carpenter, who played Dexter's sister Deborah, is back, even though she died, <laughs> because she is a replacement ghost for his adopted dad, Harry, who kind of is his conscience. I am also bemused that Dexter, in giving up being a serial killer, has chosen to work in a knife and gun shop and date the chief of police. Mm, probably not your best decisions, mate. But it was it was a bit toothless. I didn't laugh. And the big joy of early Dexter for me was it didn't take itself too seriously. So I'm slightly disappointed by episode one. Am I going to watch the other nine episodes? I mean, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've never watched it. Never seen it. I was just going to say, did you watch Dexter? No. Like, watch, watch the first four seasons are really good. Again, if you like poorly or you're just, you know, you're bored mm. or you've got no money, like, just sit and watch the first four seasons of Dexter. They are massively entertaining. They're not, they're clever, but they're not, like, really super clever, like Succession or The Sopranos. But they're really entertaining. Great. Okay. Until next time. Choo-choo. <laughs> Don't know why I did that. Outside the box.